You are listening to the weekly podcast of Transformation Life Church in Muskegon, Michigan. We pray you enjoy today's message. You'd, you'd kind of get the little inside joke, but he's been teaching on Friday nights, and he always has these little minions up on his slides, and uh, so Vicky, Vicky's like, keep seeing those minions, so she went up and got one out of a box up there that we had. We had a bunch of minions. We'll go to giving them out again in the streets, and uh, so we had a bunch of minions we used to give out in the streets, so she brought it down, and he's praying right now. I don't know about that. So she just thought, man, it just, she thought he should bring it out here, and and uh, put it on his keyboard because it was so important. Remind us of the great teachings we've been having on uh, on uh, Friday nights. Go to Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to do abbreviated. Start at verse 20. Palm Sunday. Today's Palm Sunday. Today is a triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is where he comes into Jerusalem and the people are putting palm branches down and their coats down and stuff down and he's coming in and they're celebrating his entry. And it says on verse 20, it says, when he had... um, Yeah, we'll just start at verse 20. When he had said this, he went before them, ascending up to Jerusalem. When he came near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called the Mount of Olives. Didn't I say Luke? Luke, verse 19, verse 20. 8. 28. It it looks like a zero when your eyes don't focus. Anybody got some reading glasses I can borrow? I can't see with yours. I've tried them. I'm too vain to wear them, so don't bother giving them to me. Can I get another minute? Anybody got another minute? When he said this, he went before them ascending to Jerusalem When he had came near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go over into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say, Because the Lord has need of it. Those who went 
were sent went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the coat? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their garments on the coat, and they sat Jesus on it. As he went, they spread their clothes in the street. When he was coming near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered to them, I tell you, if these should be silent, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, we, we've heard that scripture that if we're quiet, the stones will cry out, right? And I think it's just another one of them that we get so used to, but we all forget where it is. We forget where it is. And here there's some religious leaders trying to tell the people, be quiet. And Jesus is saying, no. See, the devil's trying to tell the church to sit down and shut up. And we got to be the church and say, no, we don't listen to you. We've got direction from God. And we do what he says. And so he says that we're operating in the decade of dominion and that's why the scripture psalms 81 10 is the scripture of the decade so for the next seven more years or six more years that is the decade right from 2020 don't get confused that from 2020 the decade of dominion with the scripture of psalms 81 10 that says open up your mouth happens to be the year in which they want to put a muzzle on your mouth don't get confused. Don't look at it as a political thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. It was the devil that tried to tell the church in California, you cannot sing. He just using people to do it. It was the devil that was trying to tell the people of, in the church to shut up, sit down, and be quiet. It was the devil that didn't want the church to come together. He just using people to do it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. That's where our wrestle is. So we, we know that in the decade of dominion, they want us to shut up. Well, they've been doing this for a long time. It's nothing new under the sun. That's why reading the Bible is such a great thing, because if you read the Bible, and then all of a sudden something starts happening around you, you're like, hold, hold on, I saw this somewhere. I saw this somewhere, and so... So then you, you can go to it and you can see what God, how God 
work in that situation, and it gives you a pattern and a principle that you know you can follow because that's how God works. His word, some people want to say, is not relevant for today. And the reason they say it's not relevant for today is because they don't understand that his word is full of patterns and principles. And when you follow the patterns and the principles of God, you activate the power of his word. When you ignore the principle, don't get, you don't get the power. He can't work in our life when we ignore the direction. And even though everybody, and I believe in prophecy, and I believe in, in the Spirit of God, and I know at times people probably come in here and they don't come back because, you know, we're not normal. That's okay. I pray that God opens up your eyes and that you understand that we're not here to be in a regiment. We're not here to be ruled by regulations, rules, and laws, but we're here to be in the unity of the Spirit of God. We're here to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. So we, we need freedom in the Spirit of God, and we need to operate in it. But at the same time, when they say that you can do things in the Spirit that don't line up with the Word, we have a problem. Right? So we need to know the Word because when things in the spirit start happening, because there's an enemy that we serve that, that we don't want to serve, who we sometimes serve unwillingly or unknowingly, because we feel like that's the spirit of God, when it's not, because it doesn't line up with his word, right? So when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, said to the people, shut up, tell them to shut up, and he he could have said, oh, those are the religious leaders. We better shut up. Right? But they weren't directed by the Spirit of God. They were directed by pride, arrogance, and they wanted to protect themselves, you see, because they were in leadership of Israel. They were the ones in charge. And they had made backroom deals with a government. I shouldn't even go down that road. But anyway, they made backroom deals with the government so that they could be in control over their people as long as they submitted to another government. And, and so they had made backroom deals and everything. They wanted the authority. They wanted the control. They wanted to direct everything. And they wanted to do it because they wanted to be important. They weren't seeking God. Jesus stood outside of Jerusalem and said before he ever got in Jerusalem and got on that coat, he's like, how I've stood out here, oh Jerusalem. And I would, I would like to bring you under my wing as chicks, as a hen would bring their chicks. But you knew not the hour of your visitation. You knew not the hour. 
See, Palm Sunday is the starting of the Passion Week. You should read your Bible this week. You should read your Bible every day. But you should read your Bible this week and see the process that took place. And I, I don't have a lot of time this morning because I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I don't want to keep you here till four. And, you know, you know but if we, if we were to look, there were so many things that took place in this Passion Week that were totally illegal to the process of man. They violated their own laws. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why we get so surprised when man violates their own laws for their self-benefit. I mean, it's been going on forever. Nothing new under the sun. And they violated them all. You could read about it. It's it's amazing thing when you read about it. They tried Ju- Jesus at night, which was which was against the law. No man was to be tried at night, and they did it. No man was to be punished if they were found guilty. They had to wait 24 hours before they could be punished. They did not wait 24 hours. They violated every written law to put Jesus on a cross. Here's the amazing part is he could have, he could have fought them and said, you violated every law. I'm going to file an appeal on the basis of you tried me at night and it's contrary to your law. Right? Could have, you could I'm going to file an appeal. You punished me without a 24-hour waiting period for witnesses. You violated the law. But he, he didn't do any of that. He submitted himself to the point where he stood in front of Pilate and he said that, don't you understand, Jesus, I have the right to take your life or save it? And Jesus said, no man. You ought to read that scripture and get excited. Because he said, no man has the power. I raise up my life or lay down my life. I do it. You don't do it. You don't have the power. I do it myself. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. Somebody ought to get excited the fact Jesus knew who he was. When, when he got on that donkey, he was fulfilling a prophecy back in Zechariah that said our king would come in on a colt. He was fulfilling a prophecy. He didn't do anything by accident. Nothing by accident. He knew exactly who he was. He didn't have an identity crisis. He had a whole lot of people that went against him, and it didn't change him. You know, we we get into a place where when people rise up against us, we, we become quiet. We start stepping back. We start wondering. We start letting what the world says determine who we are. We start having an identity crisis. 
Why do you think they want to start talking to kids at the age of four and five and six years old in preschool to let them know you may not be a boy even though you were born one? You may not be a girl even though you were born one. They try to create an identity crisis because when you're in an identity crisis, you are confused, you have no confidence, you have no ability to do anything, you wander around in total confusion. You can't get the first thing even right. You know you can't get the second thing right. I don't really want to go down this road, but I will say this. They've been having uh, hearings in our fabulous government about the right to teach kids and then without the permission of parents, give them puberty blockers, teach them that they're not what they were born to be. They've been doing this in a public school. And now they're going in front of our Congress and having these discussions. And this so-called expert lays out this whole thing about, he starts talking about suicide and the rate of suicide. And he's got this whole documentation that says that, you know, back in the day when there was, because the, the number of individuals that think they're in the wrong body has skyrocketed, right? And so he's talking to our government and he's saying, well, you know, the, it's about time we let them discover who they really are and we get to change because, you know, back in the day we had so many suicides because they were in the wrong body and we would crucify them for it instead of letting them be who they were. And he says, so now we're allowing them to get into this so they won't commit suicide. Sounds great, doesn't it? Here was, here was the response of the one person I know that at least had a brain, he said, excuse me, sir, but the statistics show suicide is skyrocketing. But in the report, he says it's declining. So all you got to do is lie, write it down on a piece of paper and lie. And because we don't care until it affects us, the church says, I'll just be quiet. Please tell him to shut up. I'll be quiet. See, some of you are already thinking political. I'm not thinking political. This is a spiritual war. There was another king they say the greatest king in Israel. You know who that is? David. Another king, David. David was born to Jesse. And he had all these brothers. And all of a sudden, you know, Israel wanted to be like all of the other nations kind of like the church wants to be like all of the other religions because we can get along. We can put coexist bumper stickers on our cars. So he had, so Israel wanted a king. They got their king and, 
got Saul, and then Saul failed, and then God speaks to Samuel and says, go, I'm going to have you anoint a man king. Go to the house of Jesse in Bethpage or Bethlehem and bring his sons together and I will show you who to anoint king. So he goes in there in the town. Boy, I wish we had this again. The prophet of God showed up in the town and the town was like, why are you here? We don't, we don't have no reverence for that kind of anointing anymore. But that town was like, why are you here? Did we do something wrong? And he said, oh, I'm just here to do an offering. Which, which wasn't totally true, but it was true because that's what God told him to do. But the reason he was there was to anoint a king. So then he goes into the room with his with, with Jesse and his family, and he starts going through all of the sons, and he's like, there's no, he's not here. Now, see, like some of us, you know, because we want to, we want to think that we can figure out what God is saying in the prophetic, so we can start out with God saying something, and then we want to move into what we feel. Hmm. So we start out in the prophetic and then we move into what we feel and we're okay with it because it lines up with the starting of the prophetic. So Samuel, if he operated like that, he would have walked in there and said, well, I ran out of sons, so I better just find one. Hmm? Right? That's what, that's what we do. Well, one of them was right. Which one looked the best? Hmm. Which one looked the strongest? See that? Listen, I'm trying to teach you something. That's what we would do. But Samuel, ha, the man of God, the prophet of God, the one the Bible says, never had a word fall dead to the ground. Never. Whew, to operate in that kind of accuracy. But he said, wait a minute. It's none of these. Do you have another son? Well, well, yeah, yeah, I, I, have, an, I have another son. I have a, he's out, out in the back 40. He's tending sheep, you know. Uh, let, me, let me ask you if you understand something here. And, and you should do this study because it's an amazing study. Why was David not in the room? You know how many times I say you can't just read the Bible? You've got to read the Bible. How can we read that and think nothing of it? Have you ever thought about it? He was not in the room. Jewish history and even some scriptures will let you know that there's a discrepancy in the family and that somehow David is not of the same lineage as the other sons. Now, theologians debate about whether Jesse had an affair 
or if the other son's mothers had an affair, but he wasn't accepted. He was a young man that struggled. If you'll read, it says he had the heart after God. He had God's own heart. You know, you would read that and you would think that man had it together, but yet there are so many things in his life that he messed up. He just messed up a lot of stuff. And the reason he messed up a lot of stuff is because he had an identity crisis on the inside of him that never got fixed. I believe that his dad, Jesse, must have done something because, because the Bible says, from the root of Jesse shall spring up. So I, I, don't think his, I don't think it could have been his mom. But you'll notice in Scripture, when you read it in Samuel, you'll notice that his mom's name is never mentioned. I'm really trying to get you to think about reading the Bible, not just reading the Bible. There's substance in it. Oh, you know what? I was born as an illegitimate child. I just struggle. I just this. I just that. So did David. Look at it. And he became a king. So it doesn't limit you. You got to get into the Bible. That's why you got to get into the Bible and you got to read it. Because we want to read the surface, think everything is greater than what we could possibly ever walk through. And if you look at it and you get into it, you'll know that it is exactly what you're walking through in your life today. And you would say, you know what? If he did it for David, he can do it for me. David didn't have what we have today. We have the Spirit of God that Jesus sent. Back then, the Spirit of God would come on a man. In the Old Testament, you read about the Spirit of God coming on a man. That's how the prophet outran the chariot. The Spirit of God came on a man. But in the New Testament, when Jesus says it's expedient that I go, he said, I've got to leave. I've got to leave. Because if I don't leave, the Comforter, the Spirit of God can't come. And he'll lead you in all truth. And the Spirit of God that used to come on man can now come into man and can begin to do the work from the inside out. Who cares what you're doing on the outside right now? What's going on on the inside right now? Because what's going on on the inside right now is greater than that which is going on on the outside right now. And so if you allow that thing on the inside of you, that Spirit of God to work, it'll begin to manifest itself or expose itself or show itself on the outside of who you are. And pretty soon you start doing things you never thought you would do because what's been on on the inside of you has been healed. What's been on the inside of you has been corrected. We have a greater God 
in the Spirit of God, now that works on the inside of us, than David had that only rested on the outside. We have a greater covenant. We study David, and you see all of the things. His kids were disrespectful. Absalom tried to overthrow his kingdom. We study David. Oh, he had an affair. We study all of the shortcomings of David. But there was a root in him of rejection. No father in their right mind, if they looked at their son as their son, would ever not have him in the house when the most powerful man of the kingdom in which you live shows up and tells you, I'm here to anoint one of your son's kings. No man in his right mind does that. But now if you don't think he's... So we can see David... And how he had an identity crisis. And how it played a part in his life for all of his days. But Jesus. Jesus didn't have an identity crisis. He, at the age of 12, when his parents were wondering, where did you go? Now, I don't know how a parent, I used to say I don't know how a parent could lose their kids, but then I did it once, so then I had to quit saying that. I got all the way home one day, walked in the house, my wife looked at me and said, where's the kids? I said, oh, yeah, let me go back and get them. So I guess you can lose your kids. I'm not sure why my kids, when I went and picked them up, they didn't say I was about my father's business. I'm not sure why they didn't say that now. What's wrong with my kids? No, they were busy playing with their friends. They didn't even know I was gone. So they didn't get dramatically, uh, they didn't have any real trauma about it. You know what I mean? They were like, oh, now we got to go, Dad, darn, you know. They were all right with it, you know. But Jesus at the age of 12, I wonder when Jesus really knew who he was. But at the age of 12, when his parents had to go back and find him, they're like, did you not know? Like, come on, parents. Come on, mom and dad. How do you not know what's going on? I have to be about my father's business at the age of 12. He didn't have an identity crisis. He wasn't a political victim. He 
He didn't die on a cross because he was some political victim. He didn't die on a cross because he was some religious victim. He didn't die on a cross because his dad wasn't his dad. He knew who his father was. He didn't have an identity crisis. You know what? No matter what's going on in your life today, you can know who your father is and he'll fix your identity crisis because you don't have to worry about what they say or who they say you are here. All you got to know is who he says you are. And you just listen to what he said and you believe what he said and then everything that everybody else says can just go away and you say, yeah, you can tell me I'm not good enough. You can tell me I'll never make it. You can tell me I'm a disappointment all you want. But I'm looking in my Bible and my Bible says that I'm a masterpiece in his hand. My Bible says he loves me. You can tell me you don't love me. I don't care. I've got a God that loves me. I've got a creator that knew me before I came out of my mother's womb. Just because you've never taken the time to get to know me. I've got a father that knows me. We don't have to be a victim of the culture in which we live. I should give you a couple of scriptures. I don't know where my notes even are from where I am. So, so 1 Samuel 16 is where you can start the story. Just write this down. I'm not going to go there. The first Samuel 16, you can start reading the story about uh, Samuel going to anoint the new king. David. In Psalms 51.5, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. He poured his heart out in the Psalms. I often tell people, if you're struggling with sleeping at night or depression or things like that, read a chapter in Psalms before you go to bed. Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. This is why I say read the Bible, then dig in. What does that mean? In sin, my mother conceived me. If his mom and dad were married, he wouldn't be conceived in sin. Right? 
I just wanted to give you a couple of these so that you could at least know I'm preaching the Bible. One more I want to give you. Psalms 69.8. David. I have become a stranger to my brothers. And an alien to my mother's children. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 28 and 29, you'll find the story just before he kills Goliath. And we all know that story. Just before he kills Goliath, his brothers are out in war with the Philistines. They're all hiding out. Goliath is standing there saying, won't you send me your best? David shows up because his dad told him to bring his brothers food. He brings them food. And when he gets there, his brother starts to insult him. What are you doing here? Go home. You read the Bible, you'll see there was not a loving thing going on here. He says in verse 28, he says, His older brother heard when he spoke to the men, and his anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David's response in verse 29, what have I done now? If somebody says, what have I done now? Don't you normally think, well, this has happened before? Right? If, if it hadn't happened before, he would have just said, what did I do? He didn't say, what did I do? He said, what did I do now? Because he's been through this before. What have I done now? King David. Mm, I got to wrap this up. King David. We all admire King David. I admire King David. I'm not trying to say that he's less than what he was. He was the king of Israel that realigned Israel with the heart of God. But he struggled. But Jesus, when he came and he got on that donkey and he came through what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, when he got on that donkey and he began to come up into Jerusalem, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew the hour in which he was living. But he did not let fear, he did not let what man said, he did not let any of those things change who he knew he was and what God called him to do.
He got on that donkey and he let them people celebrate. He fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah. He fulfilled it, knowing exactly what was going to happen. Because he didn't have an identity crisis. He knew who his father was. He knew what his call was. See, church, when I start talking about these kind of things, about growing up, maturing in the things of God, don't waver. Find a rock. Find the stability to stand. And if, you, and if you're not sure, shut up and get in a closet until God fixes what you believe. Let God work. Because in the hour in which we're walking, <laughs> those that are not sure will not be able to stand. You'll have successes in God and you'll walk in trouble. Now, Paul walked in trouble because of his relationship with God. I'm not talking about that kind of trouble. Because when you walk in that kind of trouble, you know it's because of what you're doing for God and they hate the work. They hate what Jesus, they hate Jesus. That's in you. They hate Jesus. That's a different kind of trouble than the trouble David walked in. David walked in trouble. He created himself. Because he couldn't deal with his insecurities. He never dealt with the fact that he wasn't accepted. Even as a king, you read it, you'll see it. Even as a king, he struggled. And I know maybe this isn't a typical Palm Sunday message, but this is what God put on my heart because we're coming into Passion Week. We need to see the Christ and the fact that he walked out what he had to walk out with total commitment and confidence, and he didn't waver. You'll say, well, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, if it not be thy will, yes, he did say that. But when he got done saying that, he was saying, God, if there's any other way. But when he was done saying that, he said, but not my will, but yours. And there was never a waver. He never said, God, please give me the strength to do your will. He didn't say that. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And I want us to go through this Passion Week, and I want us to see what takes place this week with a clearer understanding that he knew exactly who he was and what he was doing. And when you are a man and you walk in an identity crisis or a woman and you walk in an identity crisis, you are unsure of who you are 
you will be all over the place and you may do some great things for God, but you'll have some disasters in the process of doing great things for God and you'll have trouble around you you've created and all you have to do is slow down and let God fix your identity and get it in him. And by seeing the example of Christ, that we would walk in the ways of Christ. I hope I hope this is making sense. So, the assignment, I'm going to give you an assignment this week. Read through the passion of Jesus in your Bible. Read through. I would, I would start where I started today, but I would start even reading... Start right at verse 28 in Luke 19. Start right there. And just read through. And read everything. And look at it. And when you look at it, ask yourself questions. I just feel like i got to give you an assignment. Ask yourself, what is that? Why is that? And let the Holy Spirit... Meditate on it and let the Holy Spirit guide you and you'll find answers. And you're going to come out of this resurrection season a whole lot more confident than you've ever walked before in your life. I'm telling you, he's going to renew some identities this week. He's going to strengthen our identity in him. He's coming for a church, a glorious church. Without spot or wrinkle. I don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. Some people preach he's never coming back. I'm not going to preach he's never coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And he's coming back for a glorious church. Here's my cry. God, let me be found faithful enough to be part of a glorious church. Glorious church without spot or wrinkle. As that is hard to imagine. But to pray that I may be a part of God's glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Because he's coming back for one. You know, a lot of people talk about rumors, wars, rumors of wars, all this stuff, and they use all this stuff as being, you know, these are signs God's going to come back. You know what my mind says to me all the time? And I'm like, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to close with this, but. What my mind says to me all the time is, but your word says you're coming back for a glorious church. So we can have wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine. But if your church, oh God, is not glorious, he ain't coming back yet. He's still got work to do. He's still got work to do. He's got, he's got his people that he's got to humble yet. He's got to find a remnant. He's got to find those that are going to lay down their life for him. He's got to find those that he can look at and call glorious. A glorious representation of who he is. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm out of my mind. I don't know. But that scripture comes to my mind and I keep thinking, yeah, all that other stuff is great. But if his church ain't glorious then all of them other things, all they're doing right now is preparing the remnant of Jesus to submit to who he is. 
Because here's the thing. You're either going to walk in faith or you're going to walk in fear. They're mutually exclusive. Can't walk in both. So wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, the tornadoes. Listen, we all saw the tornadoes that Scotty, sitting in the back row, moving to the back row. You know, they tell me when people move to the back row. Bonnie did that too. She moved to the back row. They always tell me when you move to the back row, it's like you're backslidden. We can pray for you after service. <laughs> but he's from Sullivan, Indiana. And there's not much left of that town. I, I've made a phone call to Bridge of Hope, and I've been in communication, so we're working on some stuff. I'm hoping we can put something together here shortly. But I've made a phone call to Bridge of Hope and trying to put something together to send some relief and some support down to Sullivan, Indiana, because that's, he has family down there. We should care about more than just family, but I'm saying he has family. We need to be a part of his family. We need to help them get some of their, their life back together. They don't have any power. You ain't going to go anywhere and get gas. You ain't going to go anywhere and get food. You know what I'm saying? Some people don't even have houses left. It's been devastating. Two hundred houses gone. Yeah. Wow. It did. It made a whole path. Yeah. Yep. And I got his pastor's phone number down in Sullivan, Indiana, and we'll be talking on Monday. I'm going to try to get a hold of him. I've already, like I said, been in communication with World Harvest and the, and the um, um, Bridge of Hope ministry down there. And, and whatever it takes, we're going to be, we're going to do something as a body of believers. Amen. And I, and I just, when, when disaster happens, you're either going to walk in faith or you're going to walk in fear. And if you don't know who you are, you will walk in fear. You'll walk in it. You'll say, no, I won't. Yeah, oh, yes, you will. But God's called us to walk in faith. Amen. Stand with me this morning, will you? Let's pray for Sullivan, Indiana right now as a body. Let's pray for that town. Lord, right now we just lift up Sullivan, Indiana, and that whole stretch where that, all those tornadoes went through, God. God, it destroyed homes and lives God, it brought in disaster. 
And God, so right now we're praying, oh God. God, raise up an army that will go into that area and begin to restore their lives in the natural. But as you're raising up that army and putting together the process of restoring the lives in the natural, God, I pray right now that your spirit of comfort and peace and strength and joy, God, that your spirit would flow through every life and bring them to a place that they turn to you for their strength, turn to you for their peace, and trust, oh God, in you that everything will be restored in the name of Jesus. God, I pray even that some of the houses that got destroyed, God, that you would replace those houses with better houses. God, that you would give them a better house than the one they lost. Because that's how you work. Your ways are not our ways. <laughs> They're always greater. You'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So, God, we're believing for miracles for everybody in the town of Sullivan, Indiana, in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, as we leave here today, I pray your spirit, God, begin to brew on the inside of each and every one of us. And let us know that we are secure in you. God, that we're not secure in what the world says about us or what we have in the world, but we're secure in you and what you say about us and what we have in you, oh God, that we would become a firm foundation, oh God. Firm on you that others could build on us. Grow because we're around them even. Find freedom and strength. God, I bind the lie of the enemy that says that the church will never be glorious. I, I, I tell that lie to go back to hell where it came from. Because God is not a liar. He's not a liar. And he's called his church to be glorious. He's called his church to be spotless. He's called his church, he's looking for a remnant that will operate and walk in a power and an authority that comes from on high and not because of our knowledge and our wisdom of man, but because of the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we will walk in the authority that has been delegated to us. Thank you, God for your work. Bless them as they leave here today. Bless them as they leave here today. I got to do this just one last thing and you can head out of here. If there's anybody in this place that doesn't know who Jesus Christ is, if you don't know the God I'm talking about, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, I'm not drawing this out. You've had a long enough service. We have been here far longer than 99% of the churches you'd ever go to. I know, and I'm sorry. 
But if you're in this place and you don't know who Jesus is, I would just ask you right now, just slip up a hand right now. If you don't know who Jesus is, you have never given your life to him. You're not sure about what it is to to serve him. If you're in this place and you haven't done that and you would want to know the God that I've been talking about and preaching about and that I know you have felt in this place because his presence is real and tangible. So if you're in this place and you don't know who he is, please, with confidence that he loves you and has a plan for you, just lift up a hand and say, I don't, I don't know who he is and I would love to know him. God, I thank you for all the people in this place. God, protect them, cover them, guard them, be with them this week, God. God, I pray, make a way for as many as possible to be here every night this week as we pray and worship and spend time in your presence. So, God, as you continue to do a work inside of us, God, I pray that you would open the doors and the avenues for them, God, to be available. But most of all, God, I pray your presence follows them everywhere they go, and they know who you are this week. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name that they would return safe and sound to the house of the Lord again next week. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.